Chapter 21 Jeff couldn't find a toilet anywhere. First, he had turned back when they'd come upon the row of bikers in training, thinking that if it was, in fact, the bathroom, he would need to find another one, and quickly. But the hallways just led him around in circles that seemed to figure eight in places. At this point, he was willing to settle for a sink, a bucket, or even a window, but none were to be found. A little boy came running down the hallway. He had on a long red shirt that fit him like a dress. His head was shaved and there was chocolate on his face. Jeff grabbed him as he ran past and hoisted him in the air. He shook the boy gently to get his attention before realizing that the kid had two lazy eyes. The boy seemed startled, but unafraid, each eye curling in a different direction. Jeff spoke as softly as he could without pissing his pants. Where's the John at, kid? I'm not John. My name's Jeff, the boy said. Well, my name's Jeff too, Jeff. Now tell me, Jeff, where do you go to the bathroom around here? The boy pointed back to the staircase he'd just come from. It's up there, he said. It's the door without a handle. Thanks, kid. Tell me something. What the hell is this place? I've only ever seen it from the outside. This is my house, the boy said. Jeff put the kid back down, and he ran off and disappeared behind a hanging sheet. Jeff followed the steps and found the door hanging open without a knob, just the way the boy had described. He entered and pulled a chain hanging from a fixture above the sink. A light came on. Jeff was surrounded by bras. They were all damp and air-drying, hanging from pipes, towel racks, and shelving. They were all over the floor and piled on the back of the toilet. A few hung from the mirror, framing his own blood-soaked reflection. It was a white room, but the bras were all sorts of colors. Purple and green, yellow and blue, lavender and turquoise. A lot of them were pink. The room smelled amazing, like an expensive bottle of shampoo had exploded. Jeff unbuckled his belt and lifted the seat of the toilet. He took a long piss with his eyes closed, humming to himself. When he was done, he washed his neck and his chin in the sink and minded to wipe up after himself and not leave any drops of blood. He wasn't in much pain. He thought for a second about the boy he'd seen and wondered why Becca had never invited him into her house before. It came to him that he hadn't even been invited this time, but had just followed her in after she'd invited Colt. He thought about Becca for a second, and all the times they had shared back at his place, cuddling and playing cards. Looking around, he had to admit it was almost nice of her to not bring him to a place like this. They had shared several romantic moments together that would not hold the same fragrance if remembered from a place as sad and obvious as this. The squalor of a henhouse, painted with other men's odors. Its only luxury was this bathroom, which likely doubled as a break room, the only room where these girls got to do their girl shit. He almost felt bad for peeing in it now, and made sure to put the seat back down as he exited. He turned out the light and left the door ajar the way he'd found it. He stood in the hall for a moment and grew dizzy. 
He thought for a moment that he might vomit, but held a hand to his mouth and steadied himself on a wall. He could hear the voice of an old woman coming from a room just down the hall. She was shouting. He heard a dog whimper and a radio crackling out static. The old woman was shouting over the dog. Then Jeff heard her slap someone. That distinct sound of bone and skin colliding. Then a child began to cry. The woman began to shout again. Jeff stepped slowly to the edge of the room and peeked inside. It was lit by a bright white ceiling fan. There was a sewing table and couch pushed to one wall and a round coffee table in the center, littered with ashtrays and sewing scraps. Piles of magazines and small wicker baskets lined the floor. The old woman sat on the couch with the dog in the crook of her arm. She was wrapped in brown cotton and looked over two hundred years old. Her hair was made of cobwebs, and her skin was just varnish smeared over her bones. A boy not much older than the one he had met earlier was sitting on a chair by the sewing machine. He was wearing baggy clothing, and his shaggy hair covered his ears and eyes like a helmet. The boy was crying. He had a few pale yellow sheets of paper in his lap. They were stapled together at a top corner with large black print letters and numbers in two rows all down each page. They looked like the take-home worksheets Jeff himself remembered doing as a child. He thought it was strange that schools might still use paper like this. Its color looked the same as it did so many years ago. The boy was running a hand down each line and reading aloud while the old woman pointed to spots on the page and aggressively insisted he reread aloud. Jeff thought her teaching tactics lacked a great deal of patience. The boy had his other hand to his mouth, and when she began to yell, he sucked on his fingers. The old woman watched as the index and middle finger worked their way between his lips, and when his cheeks puckered, she pulled back her hand from the page and struck him across the face. A very, very hard slap with the palm of her hand, so hard that it made Jeff flinch. He almost felt it in his teeth as the bone-popping sound rattled off the walls of the small room. The boy whined, but seemed to be holding back the worst of his pain. His face was red, and his legs trembled. His hands were shaking as they grappled to not drop his papers. With the same hand she used to hit him, she then grabbed at his chair leg and pulled him closer to her. Then she laid a finger back on the page and pointed. There, she lectured. This one. What's this one? The boy looked closely at the page and almost brought a finger to his mouth, but instinctively pushed the hand under his ass and sat on it. His elbow quivered as he read aloud. Nine, he said. That's nine. The old woman nodded abruptly with a sigh. Good. That's right. It is nine. And what comes after that? The boy brought the hand out and scrolled the list before tucking it back beneath him. Ten. Ten comes after nine. 
The old woman closed her eyes and exhaustedly shook her head. Wrong, she said. It's not called Ten. It's called Ten E. The boy looked confused and almost brought the hand to his mouth, but instead he pointed at the page. But I thought it was Ten, he asked. No, the old woman said. It's called Tenny, because what comes after that? The boy pointed at the paper and turned it so the old woman could read along with him. Eleven, he said shyly. Eleven comes after ten. It's called Tenny, the old woman snapped. And it ain't leaven, neither. It's called Tenny-one. Then you got Tenny-two and Tenny-three, just like before except you put the tenny in front. The boy held the pages up and turned them, neatly folding them at the staple. He shook his head and struggled to understand the numbers. His eyes darted around the page, bouncing from one corner to the next. But my teacher calls it eleven, he said, and she calls this one twelve. As he pointed and spoke with his attention on the worksheet, the woman swung her hand back and smacked him across the face. The boy fell from his chair and landed on the floor. She had hit him as hard as Jeff would hit another man. But this time, there was no whine that followed. No noise at all. Jeff couldn't see the boy. He laid in a crumble behind the coffee table. The dog whimpered loudly as the old woman bent forward, and pulled him up off the floor by his hair. He'd gone entirely limp. She raised him to his knees and held him by the scalp. Then she grabbed him by the jaw and shouted directly into his face. You don't teach me how to count, she yelled. I don't give two shits what that godless idiot they got working at your school says. It's called Tenny, just like 20 and 30. The boy didn't speak but tears ran down his face. The woman crudely wiped them away with her thumbs. You listen to me, she said. I don't need you failing out of school because of some shit-ass teacher. If you fail out of school, you're gonna wind up just like your mother, just another whore in this house. I don't want nobody coming in here looking for a boy or neither. Sick-ass perverts, the whole lot of them. The boy blinked, rubbing his eyes with the backs of his hands. His voice was full of snot. I'm sorry, Grandma. I didn't mean to talk back. She let go of his head and shoved him back against his chair. Bullshit, she grunted. Sorry, don't cut it. Sorry don't mean shit. Sorry ain't shit. Do you know what sorry gets you? The boy looked up at her from on his knees. His mouth was hanging open. His finger came up to his lips, and he timidly bit at it. The woman balled a fist and shook it at him. The boy quickly pulled the finger from his mouth, but it was too late. She punched him right in the teeth. He dropped to the floor grabbing his face and screaming. Jeff brought a hand over his mouth and looked away for a moment. The boy moaned and bawled. It was a honking, choking sound, over and over. The old woman reached down at his shoulder and shook him. This time her voice was low and soft. 
You feel that? she asked, smiling. Can you feel that? The boy didn't answer. He snorted and wiped his nose. His bottom lip was bleeding. The old woman touched his ear. That's called pain, she said. And that's all this world can ever do to you. That's it. No more. Let this be the last of your tears. The boy sat up and sucked in the rest of the blood from his lip. He rested his elbows on his knees and looked up at her and frowned. I don't feel nothing, he said. The old woman nodded and a toothless smile cracked open on her face. Her tongue was green and it slid around as she continued to lecture and hold him by the shoulder. This is just like your bike, she said. Remember your bike that Wade boy took from you? The bike I got for you that you said Wade took? That's what you said, right? The boy snorted again and looked at the ground. Yeah, he said. Wade stole the bike you got for me. It's my fault. She was tenderly rubbing at his shoulder now and speaking in the air. Her eyes were moss green crystals. She looked blind, lifting her chin to the center of the room as if addressing a floating spirit. It's not your fault, she said loudly. It's Wade's fault for taking it. But it's your fault for letting him get away with it. That bike belongs to you. I bought it for you, and it's yours, not his. That's why you gotta go get it back. But Wade's bigger than me, the boy said, staring at the ground. She balled her fist again and held it in front of his eyes. You see this, she asked, clenching her teeth. What I did to you with it? That's all that he's gonna do to you. But he won't because you're gonna hit him first. Then you're gonna take that bike and run his ass over with it. But Danny says Wade has a knife, the boy said. That's why nobody fights him. Well, then get a bigger knife and put it through him if you have to, she said, shoving him a little. This world isn't gonna give you shit. It don't give you nothing. That's why you gotta take what you want from it. Look at Wade. Look at what he's got. He's got all that by taking what he wanted and not saying he's sorry. You think you owe Wade something? No, the boy said. You're damn right about that, she said. If he has something that's yours, you go and you get it back. Kill his ass if you have to. Nobody is ever gonna help you but you. If you sit around taking shit from other people and I die off, you'll get raised by one of these damn whores. None of them is gonna give two shits about you. They ain't gonna get your bike back. You want something, you take it. You're a man now. Act like it. The boy crawled to his feet and picked up the chair, sitting it upright against the wall. Then he gathered his papers and walked out of the room. He passed right in front of Jeff, but didn't seem to notice him. Jeff reached a hand out toward the boy's shoulder, but he ran down the hall and vanished. Jeff turned back to the room. 
The old woman was petting the dog and humming lightly to the static of the radio. The white bare walls of the room began to flicker in and out of focus with spots of yellow and green spreading across and moving closer. Jeff felt down at the knife and sucked in a long pull of air. He closed his eyes and gagged. When he opened his eyes, he was looking across the bathroom floor sideways. The tiles were pressed to the side of his face. The smell of shampoo hung heavily around him, and a single ant scurried at the baseboard near the bottom of the door. The light was on, and Jeff was laying on his side next to the toilet in a thick pool of blood. A few of the bras had fallen around him, and one had even landed over his face and was obstructing his vision. It was green with yellow polka dots. He pulled it off and tossed it into the tub. He rolled onto his stomach and then onto his back, watching the ceiling fan fall closer and then lift back away as he breathed. He noticed the angle he was lying at. He hadn't been able to stretch out like that in hours. It dawned on him that he was flat on his back. His left hand shot up to his chest to feel for the blade, but it wasn't there anymore, and the handle wasn't sticking out his back either. Instead, the knife was tightly clenched in his right hand with the blade lying across his stomach. The whole thing was coated in a thick layer of blood. So were his hands and forearms all the way up to his elbows. It looked like he'd just barehandedly birthed a cow, but all he could smell was shampoo. He pulled himself up onto his ass. He was sitting in an inch-deep pool of his own blood. It spilled and ran along the cracks in the tile floor. It smeared beneath his boots as he stretched his legs and let out a yawn. He held the knife up and inspected it. Its size made him feel like some archaic pirate. It was practically a sword. He touched at his wound. Then he climbed to his feet and looked at himself in the mirror. It was hard to tell how bad the wound was. All he could see was a rip in his leather jacket. He started to unzip his collar but decided that he'd rather not know. He turned and examined his back. There wasn't much to see. It almost looked like he hadn't been stabbed at all, except for the blood running out of his mouth and down his chin. His skin had turned cigarette paper white, and his cheekbones pointed out more prominently than before. He was gaunt and dry. He took a step back and lifted his arms. I'm not dead, he said. He looked down at the large pool of blood. He looked around but couldn't find any towels, so he ran the sink, throwing handfuls of warm water down onto it and wiping at it with the soles of his boots. The blood trailed back and fell into a floor drain next to the toilet. After a few handfuls, most of the blood was gone. He looked through the bras hanging from the shower rod and found a large black cotton one, the biggest of all of them. It was padded, too. He pulled it down and used it to mop up the last few drops. He didn't feel bad using it because he knew it was Becca's. He could tell by its size. He dapped at the floor with it and then folded it up and tucked it into his jacket and placed it over his wound. 
He opened the door, pulled out the light, and stepped into the hallway. He glanced in both directions, unsure of which way he'd come from. To the right was a doorless room at the base of a tall flight of narrow steps. To the left were more stairs leading down into a hallway blocked from view by the low ceiling above his head. Jeff quietly stepped to the room to his right and peeked inside. It was lit by a bright white ceiling fan. There was a sewing table and a couch pushed to one wall and a round coffee table in the center littered with ashtrays and sewing scraps. Piles of magazines and small wicker baskets lined the floor. There was a broken radio lying in a corner, and everything was covered in a thick layer of cobwebs and dust. It looked like no one had been in this room in years. Thank you.